Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer. Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of interviews with spiritually awakening people. Uh, I've passed the 400 mark in terms of the number of ones done. And if this is new to you and you'd like to watch other ones, go to batgap.com where you'll see all the previous ones archived in various ways. Um, this program is made possible by the support of appreciative listeners and viewers. So, if you appreciate it and you feel like supporting it, there's a donate button on every page of the site. Um, my guest today is Pernilla Lillarose, which she tells me was not her birth name, but she had kind of adopted it at a certain point, and I, I think it's a very poetic and beautiful name. In Sanskrit, they always say that there's a correlation between name and form, that um, the name for an apple, for instance, the vibratory quality of the sound for apple is the same vibratory quality as an apple itself. Um, so maybe that is true of your name as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. um, Pernilla, you sent me a, a little bio with uh, some of the more significant steps in your journey. And it, it looks like the first one was um, connecting with Joel Goldsmith's teachings in 1987. And I've heard of Joel. A friend of mine has you know, spoken highly of him, and I think I've even listened to some recordings. How did you stumble onto him, and why was that significant? Oh, that's an interesting entry into this. Yeah, that was um, one of those things that I could not have made up you know, or created. It mm -hmm. was... Um, yeah, it's a long time ago. I had been in New Zealand uh, in 1987, I believe it was, and I'd been doing something called WOOFing, W-W-O-O-F, which stands for Working Weekends on Organic Farms, because oh. I was studying agriculture in Denmark at that time. Okay. So I took a year off and I was WOOFing, that means I was working on different organic and biodynamic uh, farms mm -hmm. and uh, I was spending I think two weeks with one man his name was Clive he was an older man and he was doing these bizarre experiments uh, making annual plants in turning them in making them perennial he was using the sun and mm -hmm. homeopathic remedies he was just kind of an alchemist of some type and we had a good connection. I was uh, playing around with him with these plants. And at that time, since I still was at the university in Denmark uh, studying agriculture, he suggested I took some of the seeds back and did a, a re some research in the lab, you know, just for an experiment. So I did. But that kind of fizzled out. There wasn't a whole lot that I found out and learned. But I decided instead of um, continuing with agriculture, I wanted to work with people more. I was considering becoming a nurse or something, mm -hmm. nurse aide. So I wrote to him, I, I always want to say email in those days, there was no email. So I wrote to him and said, you know, I'm not coming back because he wanted me to come back. I'm planning on staying here. So that was kind of the end. And then I got a, a letter from another woofer who was with him. And he wrote something like, you know, I've talked to Clive about you and I've been meditating and I, it's very important. I, I have to laugh what I'm going to say now because it sounded so out there. Uh, it's very important that you come back to New Zealand to help raise the Christ consciousness. And I was like, <laughs> really? <laughs> and who are you to tell me, you know? Yeah. 
So I wrote a letter back, which may not have been so nice. <laughs> I kind of said like, you know, who are you and whatever I wrote, it's so long ago. And I got a letter back saying, boy, you have a lot of um, fire under the roof. <laughs> I think he was right. And he says, but you know, I have been meditating on it and it's important that you come. And I would suggest you read this book called Practicing the Presence by Joel Goldsmith. Hmm. So this whole event was so bizarre, right? It came out of nowhere. So I went to the library in Denmark and looked for this book. They didn't have it. I put a note in if they could find it for me. And I think a few months later, I got a note from the library that they found the book in Norway. Mm -hmm. That's a different country. Sure. And I could come and pick it up. So this was a, a big deal, you know. So I picked it up, started reading it. It did nothing for me. Hmm. But because it's been such a big ordeal, I thought I'm going to make a Xerox copy of this book for later, maybe. So I did, returned the book, put the Xerox copy in my bookshelf and forgot all about it. Till maybe six, six or 12 months later, something in me went and picked up this book. And I started reading it and I started meditating like Joel said and I could not get enough it was one of those things like soul food you've been starving for your whole mm. life so I started meditating and it didn't it was I think it was only a few weeks into it you know that's when I had that big experience that I uh, I don't know if I wrote about it but it was well, you, should, you should tell us about it uh, yeah probably. Uh, so I was sitting meditating and uh, doing what Joel said he said you know go inside and say I and my father are one. So I did, and that's a Bible quote. Joel, he was a Christian mystic, and uh, Goldsmith sounds Jewish. Yes, he was Jewish. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he used to be a, a reader at the Christian Science Church, mm -hmm. and then he left that and started his own movement called the Infinite Way. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I sat down and I meditated and I did it every day. And then one day it was just like, you know, it felt like the heavens opened up and this unbelievable love. And um, it, it was just so profound, you know, it just, I was just completely flooded with love and whew, <laughs> just thinking about it. Uh, and I, I just got down on my knees and I, um, I, I, I was just like, please do not ever let me go away from lead me astray again let me always stay with this and um it, it was it was i mean it was one of those openings that lasted for several months and mm -hmm. i walked around in love as love um there was basically just love and i i I couldn't do anything but just accept. I remember I was even kind of holding myself, the, you know, the little Pernilla. I was just holding her. In, it was just love, love, love. It was so beautiful. Mm. And uh, then it all changed, <laughs> as these things often do, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I was, in those days, I was going, uh, I was dancing. I was doing this dance every week. And after my dance class, I would go down to the cafe right underneath uh, and have a cappuccino and read one of Joel's books. I was just so, you know, pulled in. And I was just sitting there and just looking around and just seeing God love everywhere. And then this man came up. This is still in Denmark, right? Uh -huh. So this man comes up for me, a black man from California. He comes up and asks me for directions in English, of course. So I told him, you know, and then he comes back later and says, uh, can I? Can I sit and join you here? 
I said, sure. So I kind of put the book under the table. I didn't want to announce my God thing. It's, I think it was called God consciousness. Hmm. And um, so he sat down with his wine and he says, so what are you reading? <laughs> Good luck. So I showed him and then we started talking about, uh, about God basically. And he knew the Bible inside out, upside down, <laughs> back to front. So he was, he, we were talking, it was kind of an interesting conversation. And then at a certain point I said, you know, I, uh, I want to go home now. And he says, you know, I uh, don't have a place to stay. Can I stay at your place tonight? And inside of me, there was a big no. Right. I didn't know the guy from squat, right? So I said, no, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable with that. <clears throat> and that's when everything started turning for me. Then he said, um, well, it's not your house. It's God's house. And I knew that was true in my state. It there was, you know, and he started coming with things like, you, you know, from maybe biblical things or something that were just twisted enough yeah. to make it in his favor. Right. And I was just not in a space to discern. I, I just, I was too open and too, um, maybe too innocent in that space. And I really didn't have discernment. So eventually I said, well, okay then. So he took, I think the bus back, I took my bike back. And then, uh, then, I, then I entered into the five worst months of hell of my life. Yeah. And- Because um, you couldn't get rid of this guy, right? I couldn't get rid of it. And, you know, looking back, it, not, it wasn't my fault, but it was because of my lack of discernment that I mean, I was not blaming myself, but I was just confused. And I was in such deep surrender to the divine that, you know, everything that came, I, I couldn't quite think, you know, I couldn't discern. And his name was Yul, Y-U-L, which was so close to Joel. You know, there were just oh, yeah. things that were confusing in mm. my state. And then one day, he's, or one evening, or maybe the first or second evening, he says, um, God has sent me to straighten you out or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I still had a lot of insecurity and, you know, the things that we all carry with us. So I really believe that, you know, I knew I wasn't pure inside. I, I, I had my old stuff. So there was a part of me that believed that. So you can see it was just so confusing, so confusing. And I, so I thought, okay, anyway, it was absolute hell for five months. Yeah. And during that time, I was just in surrender and I said, thy will be done, thy will be done, thy will be done. I just wanted to surrender. I knew for some reason, I knew there was something right about what happened, about him being there. There was something right about it and I couldn't understand it, but I just knew that. So it wasn't right just to kick him out, which I couldn't really anyway. He was a big guy and I, I was couldn't just- you, Couldn't you call the police and say, hey, this guy's it in my house? Like, no, it, no, because I let him in. You see, it, well, it's so you, you, you want him out. It's your house, right? So you couldn't, couldn't you tell the police, yeah. I want this guy out of here? But, but I wasn't in that state, Rick. It was, I was in a very confused state where yeah. I wanted to surrender to God. I kind of felt that there was something going on here that was part of my opening. And so I, I cut off my connection with most of my friends. Uh, he allowed me to stay connected with one friend who had just become uh, a born again Christian. Uh -huh. And I could connect with my mom. 
And that was about it. So when so you say I, he allowed you, was he, did it he, turn into he, a controlling kind of situation? Totally, totally, totally. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was pretty bad. And looking back, it's like, oh, sweetheart, how could you know? How could that ever happen? Yeah. But it was because I just you know I grew up with a father who was an angry man, controlling. So there was that part inside. I call it the collapse. Mm-hmm. I, I've written about that quite a bit too there's there, there something in me that collapsed inside i couldn't just stand up in my in my truth because it wasn't embodied i mean the the experience was not embodied it was just um just this openness yeah. Yeah. what finally got him out of there uh i got in touch with a finally he let me go to a christian science church mm-hmm. and i talked to one of the practitioners mm-hmm. um i think little by little i got I got my bearings back and started seeing that something is just not right here. (laughs) But it took a while to just come all the way back and and it's like, what is going on here? So she said to me, you know, um, you know, this is not good. So she worked with me and then I called. Oh, yeah. Then I found the phone number for uh, the publisher of Joel Goldsmith's books called Divorce. I called them from Denmark and asked if there were any people who knew or who worked like Joel. And they gave me the name of a woman called Barbara Mall, who was who used to be a student of Joel's and who was teaching. So I wrote her a letter and she wrote me a letter back. She says, get him out of the house, you know. Yeah. So little by little, I got that like, yeah. The, the Started to grow a backbone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and then after a few months, you know, I got him out or while he was gone, I had somebody come and change the locks mm. so he could come back in. And so little by little, I yeah, I, I, I got my my spine back. And then I went to America mm. in 1988, I believe, 87 or 88. Before we then, before we jump ahead to that. Yeah, I, I think there's a general principle here that would be worth discussing for a moment, because I can I can almost hear people saying, well, that was pretty stupid and naive if I would never do a thing like that but but look at how many people sort of come under the control of dominant cult leaders and spiritual leaders and so yeah. on and, and suspend their judgment and their discrimination and end up giving them all their money or their bodies or you know do, doing all kinds of crazy stuff um, because there's 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 they get into this go with the flow mode you know well it's all divine and I should just let this play out so I, I think there's really an important lesson to be learned in terms of finding the balance between surrender and self-determination you know there's there's a kind of a balance point between those two qualities um you know god helps those who help themselves but that implies a certain you know proactiveness i I think well i i couldn't agree with you more that this is this i'm not the only one who's gone through a situation like that thousands have and because I went through it myself, I know what it was in me that made me do that. Mm-hmm. The first sign was in this cafe when I felt this no, I didn't trust it. Right. I didn't go with that. And that was kind of when I look back years, you know, years later, I started, when I started understanding more what happened, it was that initial no that my heart just or my body just said no. And I... I didn't know how to trust that. And I think that has been become a very big part of my life, of the work I do, uh, of my message to specifically help women. But I work with men, too, but specifically for women that we have uh, we have not really lived in a society or in a world uh, where we 
we're encouraged to trust our heart and yeah. to trust our wisdom. And it's a process. It's been, it was a long process for me to, to get to trust that because, you know, now it's much easier, but out in the world still, I would say, uh, it's not really supported. You know, if, if, if I say to you, you know, you know, I know I'm not going because I can't feel it, which is how I function today. Somebody may go like, well, what is that supposed to mean? Are you crazy? You know, there, there's not that normal feedback or understanding that this is how I function. So I think we have a lot to learn in the world. Um, in our, you know, we have a lot to learn about ourselves in this world where it's not accepted to live from that inner knowing and that inner wisdom. Yeah. And I think it's immensely important to be surrounded by people who understand that so we feel stronger in taking back our our divine power yeah i think that's really important and um, the various scriptures I, I don't know about christianity or whatnot but i know that in the in the vedic literature it really um, encourages you to keep the company of the wise and keep the company of the holy and so on that that's considered and I, I they might even use the analogy or I'll make it up if, at the moment if, if they don't that you know you're like a little delicate shoot or plant and you need a kind of a protective yeah. environment at that stage yeah. and and you know the, these subtle impulses are, are these impulses within are subtle at least especially at the outset and the world is gross you know the world is like in your yes. face yes. and it's so easy for them to get squashed yeah 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 i think isn't that also from the bible when you know the christ was born they took him away right they took him away until he could until he was bigger and stronger yeah. there is something like when that first opening happens you are just like a little very very vulnerable little sprout and uh, it's very easy to get squashed i <laughs> I speak from experience, you know. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's easier today than it was back then. I mean, this is what thirty years ago. Sure. I mean, this whole thing that we're this kind of stuff that we're into is becoming more widespread. Yeah. And yeah. when I was in Denmark, I knew I didn't know anybody. I could go to the Christian Science Church, but that was about it. People didn't know about awakening or these experiences. It made no sense. So it, it was hard to find somebody to go to yeah. and get some help. I know when I first learned to meditate um, back in the 60s, I was, you know, my, all my friends were taking drugs. And so I learned to meditate. And I, with a very short amount of time, I realized I can't hang around with these people anymore. <laughs> but I hadn't gained new friends. And so for like quite a few months, I just hung out with a dog and walked, <laughs> walked to the beach every day with my dog and went to school and, you know, started doing things on my own. And then naturally, gradually, I picked up a whole new circle of friends. But if I think I if I had tried to hold on to those friends in those circumstances, I probably would have fallen away from meditation and gone back into yeah. those habits. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I think we're discussing this because it's a valuable general per principle. I think, which is that there's some importance to the company you keep, and if if people are finding it really hard to get onto a spiritual path or stick to it or anything like that, they might want to look at who they surround themselves with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Not absolutely. to sound preachy, but it's a practical consideration. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it has to do too with, you know, the whole neural pathways, the, the, the brain wiring. Mm -hmm. it, it's the same. It's, if, if it's not strong enough inside, we fall back on the default wiring, mm -hmm. which is usually not in our favor. I mean, it's not, in the, it's not an awakening wiring, we can say. So it is important to keep 
to keep repeating and repeating and repeating so so that sprout or that neural wiring gets stronger and eventually you know that's why eventually i found my spine again so i could stand up straight yeah. without falling over if somebody disagreed with me and i think there is just a, there is a process to this whole embodiment um i i'm very much about embodiment that's my there's a big part of it that we that we bring that into our living experience in life that we live it it's mm -hmm. not just something we bypass uh, the life it's very much about bringing it in and it's a lot of work you know yeah. it's a lot of work you know on that note um, I don't know about you but I know people who've been meditating for decades who are s still trying to kind of play fiddler crab in the shell you know it's like oh I couldn't possibly watch the news or I couldn't possibly go to this restaurant or you know do something so gross as to you know go to a concert I mean there's just it's this is a bit of an exaggeration but there are some people who are so in a state of such delicacy that they continually try to shelter themselves and and there yeah. I think there's some I'll let you elaborate on this but there's some need for getting out there and, and integrating more and, and being able yeah. to sort of do normal things and, and yeah. not, not be so um, impressionable. Yeah, uh, I think there's, there's different ways of looking at that. I mean, I'm, I'm very much a hermit in, mm -hmm. in one way. I, I just love being on my own with my cats in the woods, you know, where yeah. I live. Um, and I'm also out there a lot. I, I have to find an, a good balance, a balance between the two. Yeah. I think in the beginning it is important to just shut out everything and just be with all that stuff, you know, that normally drives you out and away from yourself and, mm -hmm. you know, to get experiences, to, to not feel lonely, uh, to be loved, liked, to find safety, wh whatever it is. I think there is a very important phase to learn to sit with all that energy that usually drives you out. Mm -hmm. I think it's very valid. And then that there is a point where you, you know, there might be more of a naturalness to, to come out because you get more in touch with who you truly are. And, and if it's not coming, I mean, if you're in trying to live in a shell because you're afraid of the world, right. then there is obviously some fear that needs to be met. That's quite obvious. And it's easy to do the spiritual bypass. I think a lot of people have done that. That's certainly not my way, not my path or not the way I work with people. I think being able to bring uh, all the feelings, all the fears, all the things we are afraid of, ashamed of, can we bring those in and learn how to be present with that? And that is, again, it's a skill. Uh, you know, I'm trained as a Hakomi practitioner, and Hakomi is body-centered therapy. Yeah. So it's really very much about coming into the body and learning to listen to the body. And what I, when I look in the world and when I go to, you know, retreats and, and different things, I notice how difficult it is for people to actually be present in their bodies and learning to listen to their body from the body, not from the mind. Right. Think, oh, I think it is this, or it's probably, it's like, no, what is the body actually saying? Because that's where we enter into the body, and that's where real transformation can happen so that who we are becomes embodied and not just something that's out there and we need to, sh you know, shield from the rest. So, yeah, I think you're right. That probably happens a lot. I think there's a place for that. But if it's a hiding from meeting something in yourself, well, 
you just won't get embodied. It, it's, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's all good in the big picture, but you won't get the benefits of actually starting to feel, to live the presence and the love and the oneness in your life. Mm-hmm. Since you mentioned the word shame, I think I'll ask you a question now that someone sent in, Raymond from Washington. Um, he read some of your website, and he, we, we've rewritten the question slightly to ma- hopefully make it more clear. Hopefully we haven't misinterpreted what he was asking. But he asks um, about people feeling shame having an evolutionary purpose in humanity to make people introspect about their actions, particularly when the actions impact others negatively. What do you think about that? Hmm. You know, I just wrote four articles, actually, um, about shame mm-hmm. because I encountered some shame in myself uh, a few months ago um, about just being myself basically it was just a real deep layer I, I don't I just keep you know going deeper and opening and you just see these things so for me shame um, I don't know I have never thought of that I don't think I can answer that if it's for the evolutionary process you, what, it, it you just wrote be. four articles about it what, what were they about the, well it it's about what the way I see it, and, and there is this quote from my book that where I talk about that we live basically in resistance to who we are because we believe that the part of us that we resist, we believe that that's who we are. Mm-hmm. And so as long as we still have parts of ourselves that we want to hide, that we are ashamed of, embarrassed of, it's because there is a belief that we are that. And that's where there's duality. When you wake up, in my experience, I bring everything in. You know, I'm also a self-love mentor and I can't disown any part of myself. I can't exclude anything about myself because then I live in duality. Uh, and I, my my movement is to live in oneness with myself and when I live in oneness with myself then of course I experience it in the outside too so when I found this place in me that that I felt actually I felt ashamed just to be me to be pranilla I mean it, it makes no sense to the mind so I really had to go and be with that and then I could see that there was a part of me that felt ashamed to even share that I was ashamed to be myself you know it's and I and but the beautiful thing Rick was that I I learned so much about shame and I can see that shame builds on itself and it it keeps you know that shell you talked about you know it keeps us kind of separate from the love and the oneness that's everywhere so I think it's really important to meet the shame whether it's for the evolutionary process I have no idea those things I, I don't quite know how to answer questions like yeah. that I can just I can only answer it from the experience from the inside out and what it means to, meant to me was like <clears throat> when I don't when I'm able to share like I'm ashamed of being myself you know even here on your show you know that there was a piece of me that wanted to hide that it's like no because that's about as unloving I can be to myself you know to to push this part of myself away and that's not really the path I'm on Mm -hmm. so I started writing a few articles about it and it was actually very liberating and very sweet to see that and the funny thing is when I when things unfold in myself I also I just start seeing it around me Mm -hmm. more clearly 
that oh yeah that's 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 because we're actually all ashamed of being of, of being who we are no we're ashamed of being who we think we are that's i think what it comes down to yeah because uh, when you really know who you are you're not who you think you were exactly right. and and what is there to be ashamed of okay so there's areas that are have been traumatized in the past that are not fully on board in the oneness i don't need to be ashamed of those i need to love them you know so then it's really bringing every part into the fold so i don't know if that's a satisfying answer for that question but that's hopefully so and if he'd like to ask a follow-up question he can post that okay so you were about to say that you went to the u.s you were studying joel goldsmith and then you came to the u.s and then i kind of cut you off to ask you to, to another question and you want to pick it up from there yeah so then i came to be with this uh student who had been a student of goldsmith and she was a teacher herself so i was with her for a couple of years mm -hmm. i basically moved in on her ranch, which is a little north of LA, East LA, no, a little north of LA, I think. And, um, and I was, you know, I was working for her. I was a bookkeeper, I was cleaning the house, just anything, just to start, you know, I right. came to a new country. So I was with her teachings for a couple of years. And uh, lo and behold, I, I felt moved to move on and became a massage therapist. So one day I told her, you know, I'm, um, I'm going to move on. I'm going to start working for you, but take your time to find a replacement. I'm not in a rush. So I waited and waited and waited several months and I say, so, <laughs> and, and it was so interesting. I've had a number of these things in my life where she says, well, this is something about, you know, this is your ego. You're not doing divine God's will, you know, all that. It's like, and here I got another opportunity, you know, self doubt. Am I doing the wrong thing? Right. Yeah. So I did some therapy and I, you know, I just, it's, for me, it's been a slow process. I keep getting these opportunities from the divine to just grow deeper and release, you know, any more prisoners of doubt or fear in myself. And so here was another one. And it took me again a while to feel like, okay, God is not going to punish you. You know, even with that awakening and all that, there was still that in there. And uh, so I moved on and then I've been with uh, many wonderful other teachers over my lifetime. There's, there's, there's a lot of help and, and love out there. Yeah, you mentioned Barry Long. He was in Australia, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's some controversy around him, but I don't remember what it was. But anyway, what was your experience with Barry Long? Um, it was great. It was very much about uh, supporting the woman to mm -hmm. be a woman and teaching the man how to actually treat a woman with mm. respect and not seeing her as a you know sexual object mm. and respecting what she felt and said and you know and not projecting all the stuff onto her so it was very very important for me to be with him and I even became the US coordinator mm. for his work for seven years or something so I got pretty involved and yeah. it was very very helpful yeah what would you say helpful. were your main um takeaways from the whole very long thing what main benefits you derive from it um, well he also <clears throat> he always, he always would take us in a meditation he says okay now let's go into me mm -hmm. me being our, the, the self our, yeah right so we did a lot of that and when I was in Australia I remember I started getting memories from my past when I, as a child where I would suddenly have a shift in consciousness this is when I was I don't know four five six seven eight years old suddenly things would shift and I was just the observer mm -hmm. 
and it would happen once in a while. And I didn't understand it. It was like, oh, suddenly I was just observing what was going on around me. And then it would go back to Pernilla. And that started happening more there. But now I understood what it was. It felt like the pieces started coming together. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was one thing. I started realizing more of, you know, who I am, that this is actually who I am. And, um, and really feeling more and more woman, you know, honoring myself as a woman and, and, and trusting, trusting myself, mm. trusting myself and, the, and the, the, the female qualities in me. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you know, a lot of people, well, some people anyway, if they were listening to this, they might say, there's so much about the person and the personality and yada yada, but, you know, Ramana said or so-and-so that, um, you know, that's all an illusion and, and we're just sort of, I don't know, you know, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic or something or, you know, in, indulging in something that's not ultimately real and we should just cut to the quick, you know, go straight to the source, realize our true nature and all this other stuff will kind of work itself out. Then, But then there's a whole another stream of spiritual enterprise which feels that you can't that like you said spiritual bypassing if you if you just brush this stuff off as as illusory or as superficial or as you know of secondary importance it's going to come back to bite you you know it's <clears throat> and it really actually needs to be dealt with so you know what would you advise in terms of a, a balance between those two perspectives yeah it's a very uh, non-dual question, really, isn't it? <laughs> you know, even though I've been with many non-dual teachers, mm-hmm. it's never been my thing to say, you know, it doesn't really exist or, or whatever. However, they say that it's just never been, it's it's never given me any juice, you know. For me, it's all about embodiment. Mm-hmm. And I think I also had to come to terms with the fact that I was not like everybody in that in those communities. I'm, I'm just, you know what, Rick? I'm just being myself. That's great. And I don't know what that means. Maybe I'm completely asleep at the wheel. <laughs> Maybe I'm completely awake. I don't think it's not something I think about. I'm just being myself. I'm just allowing the unfolding to unfold. I'm receiving the downloads a lot, like when I write, it just comes. Um, and I know who I am in all of that. I'm just, there's just this presence that I am. I never feel separate from that. And I can see that in that there's still some past conditionings, maybe, maybe some universal conditionings that are playing themselves out and some of them I can still my presence my consciousness can still get pulled in sometimes and believe it but you know I can always come back here so for me it's not right to say oh that all that stuff doesn't matter it it feels um it's just not my truth but but there is something and and this is I think this is part of how my unfolding has happened where there is a place where I really allow every part that has been left outside the fold to come back in and love it back in. And when that happens, there's there's a melting of what was not loved before. It, there's a separation and it, and it can come back in. And then there's a flow of oneness, there's a flow of, there's peace. And then it's easier to just to 
rest in it when there's not all these parts, you know, knocking on your door, wanting in and saying, no, you can't come in. No, you certainly can't come in. Oh, I'm ashamed of you. Stay out, you know. Oh, you don't even exist. What do you want? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so that that has never worked for me. However, there is a place where it feels like when these parts have been integrated enough in me, when then there might be some thoughts coming, knocking at the door, wanting to tempt me to go back out. Mm. There is a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry, I'm done with you. Mm. It just feels it just feels that it has completed itself. It feels like the truth of it has embodied itself. There's no duality. And I'm just done. It, so again, it's just a natural unfolding of, okay, I don't even want to start loving that part. It's like, no, you know, we're done. So there's kind of, there is actually a separation, how I see it too, between the thought that comes in with some negativity about myself or the world or some belief, whatever. And then the impact that it has on my emotional body. So I, I always include the emotional body and help that come into oneness, into peace, into the love. And once it is included and incorporated and integrated, that's when this thought knocking on the door, it has no power, it has no bearing anymore. Mm -hmm. it, it, there's nothing biting it back or wanting to engage. But as long as I leave these parts out, then I will go out there and believe it all the time. I don't know if it makes sense the way I say it, but it's been, it's been, I think a lot of people have asked me that question, you know, when do you love it and when do you leave it? Mm -hmm. And there is kind of, there is a flow to it. And then maybe the next layer comes up and maybe that needs to be loved and met and listened to. And, you know, when you listen to your body, like if I'd listened to that no, back when, right? I would have saved myself a lot of suffering, right? Yeah. So learning to listen to that, then if something comes knocking on the door, says, Pernilla, you can't trust yourself. I was like, please, you know, come on, that's, that's over. <laughs> so it's, it's more integrating it. And it's, for me, it's not about what you just, I don't remember the question because I can't really relate to those questions, but no. Yeah. Well, it sounds like what you're saying is that there's a, there's a balance that you've learned to, to live with in which, you know, if you were to try to push away and exclude this kind of stuff, then you would only make it stronger. And so, you know, so you just relax. And by relaxing and accepting it, you automatically circumvent an inner battle which might otherwise take place. And a lot of stuff ends up getting resolved and, and um, you know, rectified. But at a certain point, you know, there, there can be in, in contradiction to the sort of whatever goes principle, there can be a, a sort of a, a no, I'm done with you. You know, we don't need to deal with this anymore. Um, you, you know, goodbye. I'm just reinterpreting what I just heard you say. So there's there's a kind of a balance that you've learned to establish, and it, it seems to help you to, you know, progress and work through and resolve this stuff once and for all. I think also when you say, you know, it's it's kind of like a resisting, you know, like, no, no, no. There's, yeah. a, there's an energy of resistance. It creates a strain. Yes. And and that's not here. When when you're done, when it's integrated, it's like, there's no resistance. Yeah. It's just like, whatever, you can move through, you know, whatever, it's all one. <laughs> but there's no, there's not that sense of the duality. There's just, I think, just the energy of the latching on or the grasping onto something is gone. Yeah, that's good.
All right. So you in the list of, in the bio you sent me there, you, you listed a number of your primary influences, and we, so far we've covered Joel Goldsmith and Barry Long. And then you mentioned ayahuasca. Did you go to Peru and to do ayahuasca? No, no, yeah. I did it here in uh, California. Oh, there was nice. a shaman who came and did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was another big. Oh, that was actually another big turning point in my life. Mm -hmm. There was. I don't know, maybe the fifth or sixth journey I was in, I just experienced myself. Fifth or sixth ayahuasca journey, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yes. I experienced myself just beating myself up emotionally, you know, mm. like judging myself and hating myself and just this old conditioning. And because when you're in that space of in journey space there's you know, you know you're much more the observer so there is there's that gap that happens and I, I could just watch myself how i did it it was excruciatingly painful and i felt it in a way i had never felt it before and i i just like oh my god and i cried and i cried and i cried because it was so horrendous that i was treating myself that way and so you're saying this is something you actually had been doing routinely, but had been unaware of it, and, and the ayahuasca yeah. made you aware of it? Yes, exactly. I and I, I can see, you know, when, when I work with people, I see how it's just this underlying thing that most people do. It's just in our culture, I think. Mm. So I vowed to not treat myself like that ever again. And it was very beautiful. It was a very beautiful turnaround, and it still took a while to... Mm fully incorporate that of course but that was also the beginning of the work that I do now as a self-love mentor um, helping people to not judge themselves and criticize themselves and, and doubt themselves and shame themselves and 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 stay in duality you know even people who have had beautiful awakenings that underlying current is usually still there I, I don't know if it's there more in women than in men. Uh, I know for sure it's there in women, the, the self-doubt and comparing, competing with other women, you know, trying to be different than we are. Very, very painful and very dualistic. Mm -hmm. So here again, there was another piece that got opened up to start just really treating myself with a lot more love. And, and that in itself is probably one of the most... Um, I mean, that brings oneness to yourself when you don't do that division and, you know, I mean, judging and criticizing yourself, there's such duality in that, right? And if we're talking about non-dual teachings or awakenings, you know, where does that really fit in? So we need to deal with that. Yeah. And that's why also eventually I wrote the book called... Um, Imagine being kind to yourself. It was like, imagine that, you know, being kind to yourself. It's like, what? <laughs> but you know what was so interesting when I wrote that book, though? Because those are the days I went to satsang a lot. was never talked about. Nobody talked about loving yourself. Like you said, you know, we're, it's not real. You know, I deal yeah. with, you know. So I was in that environment. And there was this thing that arose in me. And because I saw my clients, they were just so hard on themselves. And... I said, there's something missing here. You know, they, they would come in and say, uh, you know, whatever teacher we were with, they would say, well, well, he or she says, you know, you have, just have to accept everything as it is. So they were trying to accept everything as it is. But I said, well, what about all the feelings you have? Are they not part of what is? And that's 
all that then developed and unraveled and, and became the book eventually to actually learn how to be kind to yourself so you're not living in that duality. Mm. Yeah. I think it's an important point. Maybe we'll be coming back to it you know, several times during this interview, but there, there's, there's, there's different pieces to this puzzle, you know, and some of the, and the non-dual satsang teachers who are really sort of radical in that way have, have a, a piece, an important piece. And, you know, the, the sort of the more psychological, emotionally oriented people have a piece. And, and somehow, you know, it's all the pieces together make the whole puzzle, yeah. Um, yeah. I think. And um, maybe not for everybody, but for, for most people, you know, and you just can't bypass or sidestep certain yeah. things and, um, you know, advita them away. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's uh, true. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, or meditate them, you know, I'm going to meditate it away, away like, to, away to where, you know, mm. where is it going to go if it's not included in the oneness? Um, it's it's a funny concept, but, you know, that's part of the spirituality we grew up in. Yeah, and you can always play devil's advocate, because, I mean, meditation can clear away a great deal of stuff that you don't necessarily need to dwell on. It can actually just be cleared away and... You know, you can clear yeah. away stuff you don't even know you had, and you don't even know it cleared. But next thing you know, you're feeling so much better and not behaving in a certain way anymore. But on the other hand, it doesn't seem that 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 meditation in and of itself is able to resolve everything for most people. And usually, other tools are necessary as well. Seems to be, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and just realistically speaking. <laughs> Realistically speaking, no, re realistically speaking, <laughs> oh, it's realistically. like if we if we actually get real about it and see what kind of results people get and see mm -hmm. what what's going on in the lives of some satsang teachers, actually, uh, you know, it kind of uh, yeah. enforces it reinforces the notion of a, a multi pronged approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's important, like when you say there's all the pieces, right, and and we need to put them all together and you may just have to jump from one piece to the other and you know I just need some therapy right now so I'm just going to do that doesn't mean I'm not going to meditate I'm going to you know stay stay grounded because when you have the ground things go much easier so we have to find the ground of our being we have to wake up to who we are otherwise we'll just be out there you know doing therapy and, and rearranging the deck chairs yeah. absolutely that and there is a place for that too i believe to do that first if there's too much trauma uh, if there's too much identification if the grip is too tight i don't know if you can just let it go and go and do this so there might be some work that needs to be done before you can even start meditating and benefit from it but again I mean, we're all different. I, I don't see there's one recipe for all of us. We have to create our own recipe and, and use it. Yeah. I was just reading something, and maybe it was in your book or some other thing, it just came across in the last day or two, where somebody was saying that, you know, they couldn't sit still for five minutes to meditate. They, they, they just weren't wired that way. It was too difficult for them. And uh, that could be partially due to the technique of meditation they're trying to do. But... Um, but also some people just aren't able to, to sit easily and there's, there's other things they can do. Maybe, the, maybe five years from now sitting will come naturally to them, but maybe right now it's really not the right thing for them. Right, and are we supposed to all meditate? I mean, is that, is that the rule, you know? 
I don't know what we all came here for. I'm, I'm finding out more and more what I came here for, but somebody else may came, may have come down here to experience, you know, a whole different aspect of life, which does not include meditation. So yeah. why not allow that to unfold its own way too? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, on your show here, there, most people are very interested, of course, in the awakening aspect, because that's what you bring in here. Mm-hmm. So, that is important here, and meditation is a big part of awakening, I think. I don't know how you can uh, connect to that place if you're not taking the time to go there only and, and, and focus on that. Mm-hmm. So, so, of course, we want that here, but I think there is a lot more than that, and, um, and it's available to us. Yeah. That analogy comes to mind of, you know, they say... Um, Dig one deep well rather than digging ten shallow wells, you know, and then you'll you'll hit water. But you know, you can twist that analogy a little bit to say, well, you know, how about using ten different tools to dig one deep well? Yes, <laughs> that's know? a great yeah. Maybe you want a shovel and a pickaxe and a jackhammer and you know a bunch of different things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, there was another thing that just came to my mind too when you talked about something that I, I wrote this other article the other day. Uh, or recently about, you know, what are we really awake to? Mm-hmm. What what are we, because it's such a funny concept. Uh, a few years ago, I ran into a friend who I know is not awake the way we talk about awake, you know, and she says, you know, I just woke up and now I can see how I have lived my life with my partner. And there was, she had woken up to some unconscious of sleep part, how she had lived her life. Mm-hmm. And she had woken up to that. And it, this is years ago, and it made me think like, oh, for me, I always thought it was about the spiritual awakening, right? right. Which is only part of it. Because look what we're waking up to today. We're waking up to eating healthier, uh, how we treat each other, uh, the government, the finances, you know, with all the things going on in the, the world. Environment and, yeah. The environment, all these things we're waking up to how we, uh, how, yeah, how, I mean, eating is a big part of it, you know, do we, do we eat animals that have been treated terribly and, and take that in and instead of, you know, taking a stand for maybe creating a better world, we are waking up to that we may have a purpose in life. Um, God forbid, right? In non duality, you can't have a purpose. But I think we do because that's part of it. You know, I can't, I can't exclude anything really. I can just see that we are more and more waking up to things that we have been completely asleep to. And, um, and some of them are a little hard to, to wake up to and see what we have actually been participating in in the world. But we didn't know because we were asleep. So there's a lot more to awakening than just to your true nature, although that is a huge and very important piece of it if you are actually drawn in that direction. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I I think that one can be profoundly awake to one's true nature and yet still have relative awakenings that ought, that need to happen they can they can have blind spots they can be misog- misogynistic or have yeah. or you know insensitive or negligent or you know in other ways uh, and so it seems to me that awakening maybe it has a foundation in true nature but at the same time it's multi it's a multifaceted thing and um, when people say you know, someone someone says, "Well, is so and so awake?" or "So and so is awake?" 
I say, yeah, I guess so, to a degree. They've had an awakening. There, I, I, I suspect there's other ways or, or other degrees to which they could awaken. But, yeah. um, you know, it's all good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and again, what are they awake to? If you for instance, oh, that person is awake, I would ask, well, what are they awake to? Yeah. And what are they not awake to? Because yeah. for me, it's more like, you know, the awakeness, the more I spend time resting in an asset, it just kind of expands. And in the expansion, I start seeing things that I didn't see before, mm -hmm. whether it's outside or inside. So it's an expansion of the light, of the awakeness, seeing itself yeah. in an everything where it didn't see itself before. Brings up an interesting analogy that Maharishi Mahashiyogi used to say. He used to say that if you think of life as like a territory, and in the territory there are different, you know, things you could explore: diamond mines, and silver mines, and interesting things like that. Um, but you could go and start going after those. But the problem is, you don't own the territory. You you need to first capture the fort that commands the territory, and then having captured the fort, then you can more safely and legitimately explore all these things and um, you know at your leisure. Um, so maybe this is a good analogy for this idea of different kinds of awakenings. The sort of the true nature awakening would be the fort, um, yeah. and if you're just going after this little mine here or that little mine there without having captured that, you, you're a little bit on tenuous ground. But, but on the other hand, you know, you could sort of capture the fort and then not bother to explore the territory and leave all kinds of other things undeveloped yeah. uh, and yeah. be a real SOB who happens to be in tune with true nature or something. Exactly. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of those, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> all righty. So we referred to satsang teachers, and I noticed that you've engaged with several, Gangaji, Adyashanti, um, I don't know much about Joe Dispenza and then Sat Sri. Did you find out about Sat Sri through Batgap or did you already know about him? You know, I had a friend here in Felton where I live in the mm -hmm. Santa Cruz Mountain who had invited him to come and give a satsang. Mm -hmm. So she sent a little email out just to a few, you know, small group of people that she knew and it was right in town. So I went. Mm -hmm. And, um, Is that in the last couple of years? Uh, a year and a half ago. I think it was okay. not too long after he'd been on your show. Uh -huh. So um, so I went to a retreat right after, which was absolutely wonderful. Mm. Uh, I, I do love going to retreats and, yeah. you know, just steep in the silence. And Satya has a very strong transmission. Yeah. So it really, it, I mean, it just helps expand more mm -hmm. that, you know, and in an expansion, I may see more here and may see more there. That's kind of how it works. Yeah. And I just got back two months ago from two months in uh, Tiruvannamalai uh, with him in India. And it was absolutely wonderful, you know, just to take out two months out of your life and only focus on the truth mm -hmm. in the place where, you know, the truth is beaming, you know, the energy is so strong in, in Tiru. Have yeah. you been? No, never have. Oh, okay. It's it's just so I've been there before. It's just so beautiful. So I just had two absolutely wonderful months of just, you know, a deepening inside, clearing out more stuff, expanding more. Um, just lovely. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Elaborate a little bit more on, on all these people that you've interacted with, Gangaji, Adyashanti, you know, Joe, Joe Dispenza. I don't know anything about him. Um, oh. Satshri, just uh, let's take five, ten minutes and just talk about some of the the tidbits that you've managed to 
okay. yeah. know, how each one has their own flavor, perhaps, and, yeah. and how different, you know, it's like different flowers in the garden, they each have their own aroma, and the bee goes from flower exactly. to flower. In fact, Mirabai Starr gave a nice talk one time that I saw called Bees in the Garden, and it was about the sort of multiculturalism, or sort of, you know, picking up knowledge here and there, um, like a bee would go from flower to flower. So and that's kind of what I do with this show. I mean, for me, I'm like a big bee just every week sniffing okay. a different flower. Yeah. So, yeah. so anyway, yeah. talk about that a little bit, just about how your life has been going with these different teachers and what you've gleaned from from different ones. Yeah, you know, Gangaji was just short. There wasn't a lot uh-huh. that I went to. But Adia was for many years. I uh, was very involved with his teachings, and mm-hmm. I did a lot of retreats. I was also managing his retreats for a couple of years, so mm-hmm. I basically wasn't almost every retreat he did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I just have a deep, deep love for Adia. Uh, I was with him for so many years, and mm-hmm. I really felt that uh, I got much more grounded in the awakening and started, you know, realizing that this is actually who I am. And it was not just a, an experience that came and went. I started just grounding in it more. It's just lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I will always feel a deep love for him, you know, mm-hmm. I, probably for all of them. <laughs> um, well, you've met Adia, sure. So you, yeah. you knew him, yeah. And um, who was the other one? Oh, um, you mentioned. Um, well, you've talked about Sat Sri a little bit. You could elaborate yeah. more on, on on his thing. Um, you've also mentioned Hakomi and and Deeksha, oh, which is yeah. which is the oh, um, the oneness yeah. university thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have been a bee just going all over the world, nibbling. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it's really, I really like that. It's just, because here's the thing, I just follow, I just follow, I just follow. It it moves me, this deeper place in me moves me. And I've just learned to trust that. So uh, with, um, well, the Oneness University, that was also, suddenly was just this movement inside, just, I'm going. And sometimes it surprises me when there's a strong movement to do something, but I just do it. So I did that years ago and I had a uh, weekly diksha at my house with a group of people who came every week. And uh, I thought it was wonderful. I felt there was a big chunk of pernilla that disappeared mm-hmm. during that time. And then uh, who was the other one? Oh, no, well, I'll tell you about Satchi. And again, with Satchi was so amazing. The India trip that I went on, I knew it was happening. I, there was nothing in me that wanted to go. It hadn't even been as a thought, you know, it's just a possibility. And then I talked to a friend who was going to go and I said, oh, that's so great. I'm so happy for you. <clears throat> and then I hung up the phone and then this energy starts moving in me. It's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> let me sit down and listen, right? So mm. I sat down and I was like, oh my God, to go to India for two months and just leave everything behind, you know, and then all the attachments came up. What about my cat? What about my mom? You know, she's in Denmark, but uh, she's 91. What about my clients? What about my students? What about my guard? You know, all this attachment. And I just saw it all rising. Hmm. And I was just looking at it. And I was like, really, Pernilla? Really? Is that more important? And then it all just kind of, and then I got up for my meditation and I knew I was going to India. That's kind of how things happen for me. It's never really a choice. It's more like the choice is made for me. So, yeah, it was, I mean, he has such a strong transmission that it's really, there's really a a nice expansion and burning that happens there. And that's kind of what I am more moved to now to, to, instead of learning more, it's like, nah, let's just 
steep in it and let it do its thing. Yeah. So. And of course, you're a little bit footloose and fancy free. You don't have a husband or children or anything. I mean, it's one thing to have cats and a garden, but another thing, if you had a family, it might be a little harder to just Absolutely. take off. And so, you know, yeah. in, in deference to those who are in that in a more, you know, encumbered situation, if we want to use that word, yeah. um, they shouldn't feel guilty about not being able to bop around the world. But, but there's something about it because when the movement comes, it will do what, what needs to happen for you to get there yeah. or to do it. So, you know, to, to compare with somebody, it's not, that's neither here yeah, nor it's there. It's your movement, your circumstances, your life. Yeah, exactly. Right. And we all have that. And this movement isn't every one of us. It's learning to tune into it enough that we can trust it mm -hmm. and then move with it instead of using the mind to, to block or to go back and not do it, right? To let fear stop us. So it's, it's learning more and more just to trust that and go like, yeah, free as a bird, of course, and just fly with it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it may mean that you need to leave something behind or change things because that's, you know, that's how it works, right? When you allow the divine to take over your life, you know, things are going to fall away, things are going to change, uh, and that can be scary. I mean, yeah. I left Denmark behind, I left everything behind. Yeah, I've done a lot of that too, I mean, just dropping everything on, on a moment's notice and going around the world. On the other hand, you know, you have different phases of life, and, you, and be, different people have different dharmas, you know, and I, I think it's important to understand that one can evolve most effectively within one's dharma. There's even a verse in the, in the Gita which says this. It says, though lesser in merit, one's own dharma is better than another. You know, yes. and the, the dharma of another brings danger. You have to sort of be true to yourself and, and true to your circumstances. You know, I usually use the metaphor of <clears throat> we, we need to surf our own wave. Mm-hmm and not try and get on somebody else's wave right. because we're going to fall off. But when you surf your own wave, it's going to take you home. Right. We don't know how, but it's going to take you home, and you're going to have a lot of experiences on the way that may be good, maybe hard. We don't know. But it's finding that, you know, that self-love thing that I use, it's, it's helped me to just come home, to, to love everything so I can fully trust the deeper dharma or that that. that thing that lives as us to come home to that and then it is really like you're just surfing and then you learn to surf with it and you learn to you know left right yes <laughs> no right yeah and it, it is a flow it, it really is a flow and you need to learn to flow with it mm -hmm. and that's a skill that I didn't learn that overnight I'm still learning I'm learning every day yeah and you watch a really good surfer and they make it look so easy, you know, because they're not, they're not fighting the wave or the, the force of gravity or anything else. They're just sort of, you know, doing it in the most efficient, effortless way possible. And that's the best way. Yeah. So you call yourself a self-love mystic. Um, and I guess you've sort of touched upon what that means. Um, but is there anything and mentor, self-love mystic and mentor? You like to support your clients in bridging the gap between who they truly are and who they think they are or should be. Um, you want to just uh, riff on that a little bit more? Uh, well, the mystic and mentor, I kind of like the flow. Yeah. <laughs> but there is truth to like when you live when you live in and as that self love, 
I feel I'm in the mystery because, I mean, what is the mystery? That's when you really don't know, right? The mystery is outside the known. And the known is trying to, you know, make things look a certain way or go a certain way. But when I just am in this flow of loving myself, I really don't know where I'm going mm -hmm. from moment to moment. I may have a sense like, oh, we're going to the right, you know, and oh, we turn to the left. But it feels like I'm in that mystery because I don't know. And, you know, it can be scary to live in the not knowing in the beginning. Uh, so there is also a lot of love and compassion to just learn to surf, mm. learn to find out, well, what does this mean? What does that mean? Does that mean I have to go right when it when I feel that movement? So it's getting to know to how to live in the mystery. <clears throat> and then the mentoring part is, you know, I may be the, the surf teacher who is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> showing them how to do that. And it's all done through allowing and allowing and allowing everything that comes up everything there's a space for everything that we are and if we can just include it and listen to it um, learn from it love it and then sometimes it means okay i need to let this go or i just need to go and talk to that person or i need to leave that job or i need to you know stand up for myself more what, whatever it is mm. see again i i'm really in the i'm in the human i'm in the body i'm not out there uh, i'm in here that's mm -hmm. where that's where my dharma is it's in the body and so that's why everything goes because i cannot I mean, I cannot allow division in oneness. It, it's just like, I mean, I say I allow everything. If there is division, we allow the experience of division. Everything is allowed to be felt and experienced. In the allowing, things always change. Always, always, always. There's always like, oh, and then there's more expansion. There's more understanding. There's more vision. Mm. There's more clarity. But when we are resisting, right? So, so it's it, a lot of it is between resisting what is and allowing what is, no matter what it is. And the more we allow, I feel I'm just in the ocean, the ocean of allowing, where you know every little fish, every shark, every uh, undercurrent, and every, every tsunami, everything is allowed because the ocean does not ex exclude anything. Mm. And in that, I feel I am that ocean of allowing, and then change can happen. For sure. Yeah, and also saying no is allowed. Like, you know, if you, you, if you had had that more clear back when that guy, you know, moved into your house, yeah. you know, you, you were sort of everything is allowing, but not my saying no, that's not allowed. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. You know, so he took yeah. advantage of you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And how often do we not allow a feeling of no to be spoken because we want to fit in, right? Yeah. And, I, you know, I actually think when you're in spiritual circles, uh, there is a tendency to needing to be spiritually correct or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's such nonsense. I <laughs> Like, give me some example. You know, you might appear more loving than you are, or if you're angry, you suppress it, uh -huh. or if you, if so, everybody agrees to a certain thing, like, uh, and then you, you, you feel it's different. You, you don't, you don't want to say it because it's, it's not spiritually correct or something. Mm -hmm. There, there is a lot of that, and I think I'm a little bit of a rebel in that way. 
uh, and I, you know, I had to maybe tone that down a little bit too. So it's not coming from a rebel place, but mm. just from like, you know, I, it's just not my truth. But I, I kind of had to fight my way to get to that place where I can just say it from a place like, I just can't feel it or it's not my truth. Mm. Uh, even if everybody else, maybe in a non-dual circle where everybody says, oh, you know, self-love is not real because there's nobody to love. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I had some of that in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I, I'll just share this because when I had published my book, which I should be happy and grateful for, which I was, I had a place of shame. I felt a little ashamed that I wrote such an unspiritual book. You know, this is what, 10 years ago, right? This is the and one, Imagine Being Kind to Yourself, yeah, that one? Yes. Yeah. It didn't seem unspiritual because, to me. I was reading it. So. Well, back then, it, nobody talked about that. Oh, I see. It was, it, yeah. you know, in modern satsang circles, that was not what we were doing there. It was too and psychological or emotional or personal. Yes, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. But I'm over that. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I see it actually almost everywhere, you know, in a lot of people are becoming coaches and a lot of teachers who are out there, spiritual teachers who have different flavors than satsang. Mm -hmm. I, I see it, almost everybody talks about how important self-love is mm -hmm. because that is the vision that we have overlooked. And if you talk to somebody like Mariana Kaplan, for instance, who, uh, you know, is a psychologist and who actually consults with a lot of spiritual teachers, she'll tell you that, you know, without naming names, she'll tell you that it's quite remarkable or almost shocking how many well-known and maybe not so well-known spiritual, spiritual teachers have all kinds of issues that they're dealing with in their private lives. And of course, some of that stuff ends up going, going public too and creating a big disruption. As I said earlier, you just can't advita away certain things they they need to somehow be dealt with and resolved that's right and i think it's very common i mean we've heard so many examples of the spiritual male teachers from the past the big ones you know how they had sexual interaction with younger boys mm -hmm. and so there is definitely there is an um there is a blind spot there yeah. and and like when we talked about shame i think these people have shame around it because if they weren't ashamed of it why would they hide it? Yeah. This actually brings up a point. I'm glad you mentioned that. At the Science and Non-Duality Conference in October, I'm going to give a talk on the ethics of enlightenment. Not that I'm some great paragon of you know morality or that I have some profound wisdom or insight into this, but it's just such a troubling and, and common issue that things happen with spiritual teachers that end up really shaking up their their sanghas or you know, disillusioning people from spirituality altogether. And, you know, people scratch their heads after, like, what is going on? You know, why is yeah. it that, that, that these instances are so common? And is there actually a correlation between spiritual awakening and ethical behavior? And, uh, you know, some people actually argue that there isn't. Some say it's, you know, no. behavior is all just conditioning and genetics and it has nothing whatsoever to do with your state of consciousness. Uh, and, you know, I tend to disagree with them and say that, there, you know, there should be a correlation. And if, 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 uh, if it doesn't, if, if there's a lot of problems in that kind of area, that there's something has not been integrated, something has not been resolved. So we've talked about this a bit in this conversation, but let, let's dwell on it a bit more. Maybe in light of what I just said, maybe you could say some things. Hmm. Well, I... I've had a close encounter of that in a relationship I was in uh, 
a num- quite a few years ago now. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to go into a with lot a of... a spiritual teacher? With, or with somebody... Not a teacher, but um, somebody who definitely claimed that he right. was in light wake or whatever. And, and I, I don't really doubt that he'd gone through that experience. But there was just a lot that had never been dealt with. Yeah. And boy, does that come out in an intimate relationship, <laughs> like, oh, wow, yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, I, I have been, you know, I know a lot of spiritual teachers, some more close than others, but I, I have seen and heard things that I go like, huh, really? Hmm. It doesn't match, you know? But then again, what, it doesn't match my, my view or my, my uh, idea about how, is supposed to look right how enlightenment is supposed to look yeah i yeah. mean in my well, what is your view how should it look well again i i can only speak how i want it to look for me mm-hmm. because of the movement inside of me and that is i want to include everything right. i want to show up in and as love and um and bring that to where it's needed let's say bring light to where there is a lack of light or bring love when people are you know not feeling loved so so it's 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 bringing that out and again it's because that is how it moves here in me i don't know if that's how it is supposed to look but if i compare with here then then that it certainly doesn't match certain things i've seen over there but in my experience it certainly is true that the more i sink in the more peace the more presence i think presence is my strongest flavor of the expression i just mm-hmm. you know i just feel i'm oozing that presence all the time some other people it may be stillness or you know love but but i feel it just it it just it comes out the more i clear the windows yeah windshield the more it can just shine out and when i know the qualities of this place when i go inside i do not encounter shame or anger or selfishness not in in the core of who i am i can certainly find that as some dirt on the windshield so i want to i want to clean that again the movement here is as you have probably heard in this interview like i'm all about embodiment and clearing up what is not love what is not presence what is not peace Mm -hmm. that's how it is for me so i don't know if it's like that for others it doesn't sound like it is but maybe there are some blind spots that they don't even know about maybe they have done the, the bypass which has been used by many as in a way to avoid dealing with this stuff because it's not always fun to deal with i i don't like dealing when it's really heavy duty stuff um but it feels good when i do because as soon as you go into that place that you don't want that you're ashamed of or afraid of or whatever when you go in there without resistance you know it opens up mm-hmm. and and here i am again right oh here i am again so it's also a way of discovering yourself in everything that you thought was not you. Mm. So there is a sweetness to it also. Nice. So I'm hesitant to use the word enlightenment myself because it has such a yeah. static, superlative connotation, you know? But if I were to use it, you know, then I would really want to apply it to someone who exudes the qualities of saintliness, really. I mean, not only sort of awake in, in terms of their inner consciousness, but, but that that consciousness has so permeated every facet of their personality and behavior that 
you know, they, they're just utterly compassionate and loving and, you know, ethically sound and, and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, do you sort of hold that ideal also or, or, or what? I, I think I do, yeah. I like the way you describe it. Yeah. And when you, can you think of somebody that you see like that? Well, I, I don't know. I don't want to necessarily name present characters. Yeah. I can think of plenty who who haven't lived up to that ideal. <laughs> um, you know, there's so many situations like the one you alluded to a little bit ago about some famous teacher messing with young boys. Um, but, um, you know, some of the historical figures like Jesus and Buddha and people like that and, um, you know, Ramana seems to be up there. <clears throat> Uh, which is not to say that, you know, I mean, Jesus got angry and turned over the money changers t tables in the temple and, you know, did this and that. But So it's not like they would necessarily fit some idyllic conception of, you know, nicey-nicey, goody-goody all the time. Yeah. They, there could be all kinds of a range of emotions. But I guess if, if I could find a bottom line, it would be not harming people in any way. You know, if, if he's angry, it's for their good. Uh, but I can think of many situations where teachers have been harmful to the lives of others through yeah. their misbehavior, and yeah. that I can't associate with enlightenment. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 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 But if I think of current, I mean, there's a few people I would think of maybe current ones who are that, who are like Amaji. I see you uh -huh. have your, her picture yeah. behind. I mean, when I've been to her, it's just, it's just coming into the room, it just exudes that yeah. love and uh -huh. passion. Oneness. And she has her critics, and you know she's been accused yeah. of being very getting real angry, and you know even hitting people with a stick and things like that, which uh -huh. of course the yeah. old Zen masters used to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I don't want to yeah. just pretend that kind of stuff doesn't happen. Yeah. But I always get the sense with her that there really is sort of the the, the highest ideal in mind in terms of how she deals with people, even if it's yeah. being a uh, you know disciplinarian or something. Yeah, but then again, is there something wrong about being angry sometimes? Because anger is an energy that. Yeah, wants no, to I'm not saying there is. I mean, the right? example yeah. of Jesus, for instance, getting yeah, angry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I look at myself, I can get angry, um, but it's usually very short-lived. <clears throat> for instance, if you have, <laughs> I had to deal with some phone companies not too long ago. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. And it was, I think I spent about 15 hours total to change and whatever I need to do. And it was just, I, I got so angry because they were, they were, I got cut off and you know, there's this, I yeah. got so angry, but it was very short lived. It was like, boom, you know, and then a moment later it was gone. So I just noticed like, yeah, you know, that, yeah. that happened. This is frustrating and there is a reaction to that. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, you're talking on the phone with somebody and you're, you're tending to get angry, but that can also be a, an opportunity to to be to learn patience and tolerance because you're talking yeah. to some poor character who's yeah. making twelve dollars an hour and and they're doing right. their best, you know. And it's yeah. you, you, there's no point in getting angry at them; it just makes their job miserable. Well, I usually say, you know, I know I'm angry. I'm not angry at you. I know it's not your fault, but I'm angry, yeah. you know. So I I kind of do that, but I have noticed that. Like you say, it's actually getting less when these things happen. Yeah. It's just like, oh well, whatever, you know. So it's it's a lessening because I don't want to be angry. Yeah. But sometimes there is an anger that just comes out for a moment like that, and mm. then you know, and it's not nothing big. But I I think I think we just it just the lights start shining through more and more, and then there isn't so much room for these other things. Yeah. Speaking of Amma, she uses the analogy of a 
anger being like a knife that doesn't have a handle and it's sharp on both ends. So you can wound a person with it, but you're wounding yourself at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you know, perfection, I'm not perfect. Yeah. Well, it's a high bar, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, a question came in from Frank in Norway. Frank asks a question about traumas. He said, it's a little, little bit long, take me 30 seconds to read. Traumas come in all sizes and we all experience some, especially when we're young. We normally get through them and leave them behind, believing we are done with them, but there are very often remnants that we are not aware of, manifesting as anxiety or depression we don't understand the source of. The traumas are not forgotten, we just don't make the connection anymore. They are hiding in plain sight. I believe it's a widespread problem. How do you suggest we deal with it? Well, I absolutely agree. I think even though the event is over, the impact still lives in us. It lives in ourselves. Um, because the work I do as a Hakomi practitioner, which is all about the body, the body, the body. So I, I know the body tells us what's going on. It tells us why it has anxiety. And so instead of taking some medications, unless you really need it if it's that bad, but take some time to breathe into that place. Let's say you have anxiety in your chest, you know, put your hands on your chest, breathe in consciously into the chest. And I usually say, do it with a kind hello. Instead of like, go away, you know, we usually want to get rid of these painful feelings and we resist them. So for me, it's very much about making Yui and instead of trying to get rid of them, move right into there with a kindness, with a willingness to learn what this anxiety is so anxious about. And then when you do that, you can be sure it's going to start talking to you. There might be tears, there might be something, you know, there's, there's going to be something coming up and then at least there is an opportunity to liberate it mm. or to love it or to give it what it needs. Uh, hold its hand, walk, walk through that landscape um, with love. And, and, and I mean, I have not been able to do all that on my own. I had a lot of Hakomi therapy and Hakomi supervision for years when I learned this. And it was, we talked about Hakomi earlier. You know, I mean, that's been my magic bullet for, for years because it really helped me to walk through the body and move into areas that I didn't know how to do that on my own. But one first step is to make space, allow the feeling of this anxiety or whatever trauma this person is talking about, or maybe it's just conceptual, but just, just make some space for it. And then breathe into it with kindness and then see what happens. How, how does that place respond to somebody who cares instead of somebody who just wants to get rid of it or bypass it? It's like, well, what is, what, what, what is this anxiety so scared about? You know, there might be shame, there might be fear of not being good enough, that nobody cares about me, all the things that happen. And then you start integrating and, um, talking to it and giving it what it needs. So I'm very much for just, you know, filling up with love. Hmm. Yeah. Because that's really all it needs. <laughs> all we, that's all we want at the bottom is at Good. the core. We want love. Well, I hope that helps, Frank. And if you have a follow-up question, feel free to submit it. Um, 
I want to add an addendum to something I just said about Ama, uh, and that is that, um, you know, it's sort of like she's not going to deal with a person in a in a, a strict way, and uh, you know, maybe be angry and stuff, unless they've really submitted themselves to a close relationship, yeah. a close discipleship. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember one time uh, when early on, when my wife and I first started seeing her, we we were in some gathering of fairly close people because we were giving somebody a ride home that was in her inner circle and so she was coming in there where they were having dinner and she kind of stormed into the room and she was really upset about something and everybody was like Ugh. and then <laughs> and then she saw us sitting there my wife and I and she like just settle down okay I'm not gonna behave that way in front of these oh. people they're, ah! they're new they didn't sign up for this oh. you know <laughs> we'll yeah. deal with these yeah. other people yeah. later yeah. 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 Well, it's that Zen sword, right? Yeah. I, I think it's a good thing to have if you know how to use it. <clears throat> and if you're qualified. Yes, absolutely. Because you can cut through things. And sometimes I think that's very necessary. If somebody is completely lost in something, you know, you know, just not smacking, but maybe clapping your hands or something where it's like, you know, they come out of a trance and yeah. it's like, oh, where was I? So I think there's absolute value in it. But, yeah, it has to be done in a, a skilled manner, yeah. for sure. I think there are examples of unqualified people trying to behave that way, having heard that yeah. gurus behave that way, who do a lot of damage. For instance, Andrew Cohen, whom I, I all name since his whole thing has gone public and he's been consciously expressing contrition for the way he behaved <clears throat> for so many years, uh, you know, just blasting people with anger and abusing them and so on, and uh, really not in a place from which he could do that with complete integrity and wisdom, and thereby hurting a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> and that just tells me about this man that he's done a bypass. There is some absolutely some unresolved stuff in him that even makes him want to do that. Yeah. Like there's a power thing or whatever, and these things always lead back to trauma where somebody overpowered him probably and that's the only way he knew whatever and then you can do the bypass to get rid of it all but here it is yeah he's been <laughs> trying to he's been trying to resolve yeah. it recently even has been doing ayahuasca trips and stuff to oh, work through oh. it so there's a nice section from your book where i started extracting little quotes because i i like this this theme you were bringing up you know, you say there's a new dream that wants to be dreamed and it is beginning to manifest in the many changes that are already happening in the world. It looks like we're at a point in history where two dreams are meeting. The old one is on the way out and the new one is on the way in. Right where the two currents meet, there's a lot of turmoil. Um, if you fight it and hang on to the old dream, you will go under with that dissipating current not because you are bad, but simply because you're holding on to a current that has ended and is going under. So I, th I find that interesting. I, I'm definitely a, an observer of you know the world situation and always trying to think about you know what's really happening underneath the the, the latest headline and what sort of because I do feel that there's a big shift taking place in the in society and in the world and that we'd be quite surprised to see where the world will be 50 years from now if things go in a positive direction, which I don't know if that's a done deal. But it's interesting to consider what the undercurrents may be. If it's true that, that consciousness is awakening and that we're moving into a more enlightened society, then that trend or that, that, that there's definitely, some, 
that undercurrent of consciousness getting enlivened is must be having a major impact on world events, even though it may not be obvious to the the ordinary observer. So, um, what do you have to say about all that? First, I want to say, wow, did I write that? You did, actually, yeah. <laughs> That's how it all, often when I write, I go, oh, wow, where did that come from? But, but it is true because it is my experience that there is this new energy arising. I call it the new paradigm. Mm-hmm. I say it lives in our hearts. I have yet to meet anybody who is not on some kind of awakening path, who does not have some kind of vision of what is possible mm. that that inspires them but they don't know what to do with it and that's been my own process again right it all comes back to how we live that because there was this there's this thing that's been pushing me to move forward more and get out there more and it's about you know the self-love is a big piece of the energy that moves here as well as creating community and I'm doing a lot to create community too. Uh, community gardens I have you know grow a lot of my food and have people gotten involved in that I have um, a group called a meetup group called young women empowerment circle because I see this new energy I, I feel sense that in you know my clients or the women who come to my my groups there there is this new energy living in them and they don't know what to do with it mm-hmm. because most in the most people in the world are not attuned to that yet or can't, they can't really help them because they haven't gotten in touch with their own i'm very much in touch with my own and it actually happened years ago where i saw this so clearly where i i was I've been watching a DVD from a friend called From Freedom to Fascism. And at the same time, I was reading uh, the books. I don't know if you read the books, uh, the Ringing Cedar series. You referred to them, and I'm aware of them, but I've never actually sat down and read them. I think I may have have written that even in my book, um, where she talked about that there is kind of a, a hierarchy that's that's controlling the world and it's even controlling how we dream or what we want. There's she I can't remember it's years ago, but it sparked something in me just to see that DVD as well as reading those books. I was sitting there and I was just this oh, I'm here to help people get back in touch with the dream that lives in their hearts. It was one of those, you know, moments. Mm. And that's when I started going out there more and do something. So that was mine. That was what lived in here. You have yours by the work that you do here, right? Mm-hmm. There is something you want to bring this awakening awareness to the world. Right. I think we all have something. For me, it's very much also about permaculture and uh, community living and growing our own food. There's many, many different things that people are experiencing and I love helping them get in touch with that because that inspires me, right? That's part of my dream. So if I can help you get in touch with your dream, that's part of my dream, right? Because that's what I love to do. And I see it so much. I think the issue is that people don't really know what to do with it. Mm. And what happens too, again, referring back to myself, I've had to move through a lot of fear to go out there again and be seen. 
And um, I've had some past life regression sessions where I could see why I'm so afraid. You know, I've been disemboweled and burned and, you know, all these things like, yikes, do I really want to do that again? So I've had a lot of fear of living this more publicly. So when I, when I was invited onto your show, it brought up that fear again. So I had to just, you know, be with that and see, you know, it really is time because this is a message. It's not my message. It's part of that new wave that wants to come out. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go back on the old wave of fear, you know, trying to hold things together and do, do things the way that don't resonate with me. So um, that's, that's what I see. And I think there's, it's, I think there's a big need to help people get in touch with that and find the courage to live that because it's so new. It's so different. You know, it's so different. Like for me to call myself a self-love mystic and mentor, there's no school for that. You don't go, you know, you, you create, you just create out of nothing. You create out of your heart. And when there's nobody around you saying, yeah, go on, you know, you go like, oh, no, this is too weird. I better go back to my regular job and at least I pay my bills or something. But this thing is pushing, you know, you need to be out there. You need to teach people this thing or you need to build this new green building thing. And and it's I'm really excited about this because I can feel it. This energy is so rich and exciting. And I want to do my part to really bring it out. And it's happening. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of people who are stepping out, doing the absolute unusual and uh, doing, you know, stepping out and being different. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah. There's an old Bengali saying, which is, if no one comes on your call, then go ahead alone. And uh, but these days, we're not nobody's alone, you know, because like, as you say, there's just such a, a groundswell of interest in in this sort of thing and uh, maybe some people feel alone because they haven't connected with the others yeah. but it's yeah. getting easier and easier to connect yeah and that's why community i think is so so essential because it's part of the new energy the new paradigm is living more in community it doesn't mean we live 10 people in one house but it means we live in a way where we know each other we support each other maybe we eat together sometimes there's there's some kind of where we feel the support from each other so that we are not alone anymore mm. being alone is part of the old paradigm in that in that way it's not that we can't be on our own but there is this new energy and man it's exciting and you know there's a there's a word that comes to my mind because in a way we're being weird you know we are standing out as weird and i heard years ago that the word weird comes from an English root or something spelled W-Y-R-D, and it means what is meant to be huh. or fate. Huh. And that that was, again, that's exciting, right? It's like, oh, so when I'm weird, it just means I'm not part of the gray mass. I'm standing out doing what I came here for. I'm living yeah. my purpose. Yeah, so be weird. In Santa <laughs> Cruz, we have, we have stickers here that says, Said it's okay to be weird or something. There's something about being weird in Santa Cruz that's that's yeah, thing. weird is the new normal or something. That's right, yeah. <laughs> There's another nice little tidbit I picked up from your book. And you, this is just a bumper sticker you were quoting. I've seen this one too. It says, If you're not in awe, you're not paying attention. There's the opposite one that says, If you're not angry, you're not paying attention, right? Yeah. Have you seen that one? Uh, yeah. yeah, I so guess that's the standard one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this is whatever we are focusing on, right? 
-hmm. if you're focusing on the new unfolding and your consciousness, you will be in awe. But if you're focusing on the old way, out, you might get a little angry. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's a place for both, but I kind of have the feeling that if we could, if the scales would completely fall from our eyes and we were to see the world as deeply as it can possibly be seen, our jaws would be hanging open. You know, we we would definitely be in awe. Yeah. 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 Agree. Nice. Alrighty. So, um, divinefeminineflow.com is your website. And uh, what would people find if they go there? Well, there is a little free book they can get mm -hmm. uh, called Five Steps to Dive into the Divine Feminine Flow. That's my little introduction to the work. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of old radio shows. I used to have a radio show. Yeah, I listened to uh, five or ten of those last, oh, wow. in the last week. They're good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so they can listen to a lot of that for free. There's some smaller books. Uh, yeah, women standing, standing for love, yeah, right? Women standing, that was something I started all. So that's, again, it's like if we as women stand for love and do it together, we, you know, we get our spine back. We can stand up. Mm. And when you stand for love, you're actually saying no to what is not love, mm. right? Or if you can't do anything about it, you can at least focus on what you want. So that's part of the new paradigm. You just start creating a new world. A friend of mine once said it's like, you know, if you have to put new electric wire in the house, you just put a new one. You don't try and fix the old one, right? You just put the new one in. So that's what we're doing here. We just we just start creating. You start creating community gardens. You you know, you start creating things, and then eventually, when the old does collapse, which I'm assuming it will, I can't see how it's sustainable. Uh, then there is, you know, the, there is something else that can start taking over and growing. So that's why women standing for love. I felt that was that was a good thing. It's not never really took off, but it was one of those downloads, and yeah. I just went for it. Yeah. Great. And then I have one called um, "Allow Yourself to Be You." It's just it's just little little booklets you can download, and you have mm -hmm. my my regular book, "Imagine Being Kind to Yourself." I'm gonna offer in a week or two. I'm gonna do a, a six week class called it's not on my website called the global impact of self-love and uh, so it will be six-week class how to live that how to live the love and how to actually you will make an impact in the world if you're really being yourself because when you're being yourself you are a different frequency and that in itself i'm sure you know that already changes the world by us lifting our own frequency so that's why self-love helps you live your deeper dharma your truth there you're already making a difference and then if there's something else from there that wants to go out and express itself in a certain way go for it but if it's not on your website how can people sign up for it oh that's a good question they um <laughs> if they <laughs> if you're on my uh, on my email list or i send a newsletter out so make sure you sign up um, you'll get the free booklet and if you don't like it, you can always opt out at any time. But if you're on my newsletter list, you'll get uh, probably next week, might send out okay. the information how to get on there. Yeah. So they should sign up for your newsletter if they want that. And then you, you mentioned you do individual consultations, presumably over Skype and stuff, right? Skype in person if yeah. you live in Santa Cruz. But uh, yeah, I do Skype sessions. Okay. Uh, 
Great. And they can read all about that on my website, how to sign yeah. up for that. Right. Good. Well, thanks. This has been a lot of fun. I enjoyed I speaking with you. Yeah, likewise. It was fun. It wasn't so scary. <laughs> no, uh, we're, we're not into disemboweling people on that gap or burning them at the stake or anything like that. <laughs> that, that that's so middle ages, you know. I, <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Which is actually a kind of a good point because we live in a, an age where something like this higher consciousness thing could, can really blossom without people being persecuted for, for yeah. stepping. I mean, there was a time when, you know, women were burned at the stake for being herbalists and, know. you know, it's basic true. stuff yeah. like that that's, that's yeah. common yeah. nowadays. So, I mean, it's not so strange that we still have that fear in our, you know, in ourselves. Yeah. It's still in You've there. Been so through it. it, it Absolutely. So I, I, I really, again, you know, be kind to yourself. If you're one of those people who has some fear around that, be really kind to yourself and take the time for that cellular memory to be released. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 The world has is growing. I think it's evolving. I mean, there was yeah. this this Italian monk named Giordio Bruno who was burned at the stake for suggesting that the stars might actually be suns like our own and that there might actually be other civilizations living around those those stars and you know he he really had some kind of mystical insight into this and he wouldn't let it go and the the church killed him for it yeah so we live in a better time i think for i think we do too yeah 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 well that's a bit of a morbid note to end on but i think we've we've covered a lot here and uh, i think people will enjoy having heard from you and and many people will be getting in touch Great. Well, I really appreciate it. Really. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for everybody listening in. And it's been wonderful. I've enjoyed myself. Good. Me too. Let me just make a couple of quick wrap up points. Um, so I've been speaking with Pernilla Little Rose and this is an ongoing series of interviews. Um, next week will be Jeannie Zandi. Week after that, Suzanne Giesman, who is a repeat. The uh, week after that, Lakota John, who will be my first Native American guest on the show, will be talking about Native American spirituality. And of course, you may be listening to this two years from now, and all these things will already have passed, but there will be new ones. So um, thanks for listening or watching, and uh, if you'd like to support the show, there's a donate button on every page. If you'd like to be notified of, of new interviews or um, check out previous ones, go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P. And uh, just check check out the menus. It's all pretty obvious and not too complicated. There's also an audio podcast of the show if you like to listen to this sort of thing while you're commuting. <clears throat> so thanks, and thank you again, Pernilla. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>